Stand by while NCLA cuts through the noise to signal abuse of administrative power. This is Administrative Static with Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchione. Welcome to Administrative Static. This is John Vecchioni. I'm here with Mark Chenoweth, as usual, for um, uh, a little discussion. Last week, I had the uh, the, uh, privilege of representing uh, our clients in Changizi, in the Changizi case versus Murthy, the Surgeon General, um, before the Sixth Circuit in Cincinnati. And uh, just as a reminder to our listeners, that's the case that we filed in Ohio about um, our, our clients had been thrown off of Twitter after saying things that the government didn't like about COVID. Truthful things. Truthful things. And, um, and so the case was dismissed below because the judge said, well, we don't know whether or not Twitter would have done this on its own. We, it could have been just Twitter doing it, which, as I argued before, the Sixth Circuit is not the standard. Regardless of what the the views of COVID or censorship or anything, we have pleading rules. And you're supposed to plead what you know about the claim about why the government has injured your First Amendment rights, and then our uh, due process, whatever it is. And then all inferences are to be, when, when the government moves to dismiss that claim, all inferences are, are to be granted to you. Um, and that didn't happen here. So I argued that before the Sixth Circuit. And um, and I, I think it's very important here, uh, and, and it did come up. It, it came up a couple of times. The, the, the facts on the ground came up, which I found irritating because the whole point of this is n- they weren't supposed to find any facts. But the government was saying how, oh, Elon's taken over and he won't listen to us. Well, that's not a fact in the record. Um, and I will say this. The, the judges didn't bite on that. They never even asked the government about that. Yeah, another fact in the record is that that's not in the record is that the court in Louisiana did not grant the government's motion to dismiss. And there's been a whole lot of discovery there that shows that the things that were in the Changizi complaint, a lot of them you can prove. Yes, exactly. And I, we discussed that a little bit because we did cite in our reply brief, the, the Missouri v. Biden case. And I did, I, I, they asked me what my best case was. And I told them from the sixth circuit, what it was. And, and I said, this is similar. And I said, of course, there is the Louisiana case, Missouri v. Biden. And uh, Boggs laughed and he said, I, I met an appellate court case. And so, uh, so uh, I do think that there was some effort by the appellate court to stick to what was, what, what they should, which is the motion to dismiss and the complaint. And there's nothing else that you really should be looking at. Um, but everyone was trying to – they were all trying to jump ahead. And in, in just as a matter of, of law and how everything works is you're not supposed to jump ahead and say, oh, I, I think this cause of action is going to be a tough road to hoe. Therefore, I'm dismissing it. That's not the standard. Right. And um, so the real question and, and, and what a lot of that argument – and it's on, it's on our website. It's also on the Sixth Circuit website. But um, – what a lot of that argument was about was how you draw lines. Uh, Judge Boggs particularly wanted to know, well, what's what's the line here? What, what do you have to say? And in this case, it turns out 
and I think I, I think I, I said this directly to him. I said, yeah, uh, the government says that uh, this is all Twitter's uh, it's their own standards. But nobody got thrown off Twitter. Not one of our clients got thrown off Twitter until after. Matter of fact, seven days after the Surgeon General, having said all these bad things about allowing information he didn't like on Twitter, sent out a request for production to all the social media companies. And I argued to beat the ban, Mark, that what is, what is the Surgeon General doing here? It, it, I told him it's just like the it's just like Alabama realtors. What is the CDC doing about stopping evictions in state courts? You know, they're all playing outside of their lane, which should be a that should be a red flag. Just the fact that an administrative agency that's never done this before, it's uncontested that no Surgeon General has ever sent a request for production to some social media or even a newspaper. Yeah. Never. So um I think that that should be one red flag. And the other thing is what happened afterwards? Nothing had happened. Our, our clients had had maybe a 12-hour ban at one point um, under the Twitter rules. Yeah, um, kind and, of Twitter purgatory. And, 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 and as you know, I, I think You're some people follow that. me on Twitter. Yes, I had I had 11, 11 days in the cooler like Steve McQueen in The Great Escape. <laughs> the Twitter cooler. No baseball glove. No baseball. Are you out now? I'm out. I'm oh, out. Right. Congratulations. I'm back. I'm back. Um, but it had nothing to do with COVID or anything <laughs> like that. Um, so in any event, um, uh, so but but exactly. So there's things like that, right? John Beccioni can't go and say the government's responsible. Did, did you tell them that? They may not be listening to you, but Twitter's <laughs> banned me right now. So. I, did, I did not bring it up. But the point is that there's not even, I don't have a colorable claim against the government for right, that ban. Right, right. That's true. And, um, but my clients do. Because that would have been funny to say. It would have been funny. <laughs> but, it, but, it, but, it, but my clients do because it does appear, and it, well, obviously, when you're arguing before a uh, circuit, you, you, have to, you have to deal with, there's a certain unreality in appellate court. And that unreality is they're not able to find facts and they can only look at certain things that they can judicially be cognizant of, like certain government records, certain government statements, things like that. But so much has happened by the time it gets to appellate court that there's things you know that they're not allowed to take uh, any kind of notice of. That's what I think about Elon taking over Twitter. I don't think the government should have been bringing that up. That's not, a, that's not something that uh, matters one way or another to our complaint. And similarly, all the discovery, <laughs> in Louis, it, it's, a nice, it's a nice coloration, I suppose. You could say that uh, I, it's not going to be futile. The case isn't going to be futile if we got discovery. I suppose they could look at it for that point, but not for the underlying facts of what happened. So um, I th I thought it was well. well and, and can I just say on that yeah. point that you know the uh, the rule B six motion to dismiss, which is what is at issue here, it's supposed to test the sufficiency of the complaint, and it will typically be denied if there are quote enough facts to raise a reasonable expectation that discovery will reveal evidence unquote in support of the claim, even if, quote, actual proof of the facts alleged is improbable, unquote. That's from Bell Atlantic v. Twombly. That's the standard that these are judged by. You don't have to prove it at the motion to dismiss stage. You just have to raise a reasonable expectation that evidence will be revealed. Evidence has been revealed in Louisiana uh, beyond dispute. And so the idea that they would dismiss this case when you know that the discoveries out there is just what boggles my mind. Well, it's also funny because uh, we got calls from the Missouri v. Biden people after they saw Cengizi. <laughs> they thought it was good. That's right. Know? That's right. So I, I think that the this the, is the case that started it all. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I and I also think that um, 
that. One of the you bring up Twombly, and um, I I do have I I I thought that the argument went okay went okay for me when for all the so pro yeah. nerds in our audience that's why I bring up Twombly exactly. Well, that I got <laughs> questions on it, and the last question was from Judge Bush at the end. Um, the government had talked about the standards of Twombly, and I am very you know. I'm very aware of it because when I was a young lawyer, we didn't have Iqbal and Twombly. The, the pleading standards were lower. So it's a short, plain statement, and, and they didn't look behind it, and it was very hard to get rid of it, a motion, anything through a motion to dismiss. But then the, the Supreme Court tightened up the federal rules and said, well, wait a second. You have to plead facts. So if you've pled facts, that's what they're looking for. So if you plead facts about it, you, you, know, you just can't say the, stand, the, the, the elements of, of the of the of the claim you have to plead a fact that would would lead to that claim well this thing is fact rich right i do not think uh janine eunice uh and i did this janine took the laboring oar but i mean i i thought that this was a detailed solid factually based complaint with the words of the president's spokesman the words of the surgeon general the actions of the surgeon general and the timeline and i said listen we don't we said in there that Twitter has a statement, but we did not. And but we said everything got worse after the government spoke. That's enough. That's the delta. And I argued that to him. But it's interesting you brought up Twombly because Judge Bush, he said, "Well, it's an antitrust case." And he says, "Didn't they say in Twombly that it's that that in antitrust they could all get together and collude this way um, on their own?" And, and it wasn't this other this uh, the people being sued. Um, so, you know, how does this differ? It, it's equally likely that it's Twitter. It's equally likely it's the government. And I, and I, um, and I said to him, and I think this was the last argument, and I really hope it hit home. I said, because the economic incentives are completely different. We know from Adam Smith that the producers always want to get together and hike prices, but all the social media want people on their platform. It hurts them to throw people off their platform. They'll only do it for some other reason. What's the reason? The government made them. So the, the economic factors in Twombly in this case are exactly reverse. So, you know, I, I'm hopeful. Uh, the, the worst thing that happened is that the government sat down with two minutes left. <laughs> so for all the lawyers out there, you know what that means. They're feeling overconfident. <laughs> so I did. I, I did. Think... This, re this reminds me of my son in high school when I asked him, if, you know, how confident he was about his results on the test. And he said, I'm not just confident, Dad. I'm overconfident. And I said, <laughs> I don't think that's a... Good thing. But, uh, okay. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, so the argument, the the argument did touch on what, uh, particularly, what do you have to plead um, in all this social media area that it's not the independent actions of the social media, and all the judges wanted to um, to know that the answer to that question, and I think I I told them that look it, the timeline the actions of the government and then what happened to to my clients the the my, it's un, uncontested that something happened to my clients this isn't a case where we're saying well this could happen or something happened this did happen after the government spoke so i think that's different and i did uh, i don't i don't know if eugene Follock listens to us but i did bring up his amicus brief which had a analogy to um, employment law what employments are allowed employers are allowed free speech to but there's certain things they can't do to you um, for your free speech. And he, he made an analogy to that. And so I pointed him there. Um, I didn't, I didn't say, well, look, it's very fact-based, but we will see what's happens. And when the opinion comes out, we'll let you know. And, um, I, I hope, 
very much that uh, the arguments hit home because this really should just be answered on the pleading standard. And we'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to Administrative Static with John Vecchioni. I am Mark Chenoweth, and this is Administrative Static. We, um, uh, John, uh, you were just talking about the oral argument in Changizi that you had at the Sixth Circuit last week, and uh, n- not long before that, uh, our founder uh, and uh, CEO, Philip Hamburger, had a piece in the Wall Street Journal about the same question about social media censorship, the title of the piece, How the Government Justifies Its Social Media Censorship. Uh, this was uh, on the op-ed page of the Wall Street Journal, June 9th. And you know, I think that uh, Philip makes very interesting points, both about how this social media censorship is a problem under current doctrine, but also, uh, you know, as the subtitle of the piece says, the Supreme Court has adopted doctrines that make it hard for officials to see that they're acting unconstitutionally. I, I, would, I would say not just hard for officials, but sometimes hard for judges to see that the officials are right. acting unconstitutionally. And, and hard for the people who are being affected sometimes. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, he, he walks through this in a, in, a, in a certain order here, but I'm going to change up the order a little bit because I think that, uh, that maybe the most important thing that he talks about here is the text of the First Amendment, which, you know, when it talks about uh, the free exercise of religion, it talks about prohibiting the free exercise of religion. But it forbids... Uh, and this is a quoting Philip here, it forbids so much as abridging or reducing the freedom of speech. Thus, while little pressure is necessary for prohibiting the free exercise of religion, none at all is required for abridging uh, the freedom uh, of speech. So in, in other words, if the government is doing something far short of prohibiting speech, like they don't have to knock someone off of Twitter in order to violate the First Amendment. They can just put a, just a little bit of pressure or anything that reduces the speech. And one of the arguments in the complaint is that our guys self-censored they as self-censored. a result they of this. They chilled their speech. That's what it says in Shankese. Exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, to me, if if you're going to give abridging the meaning that the founders gave abridging when it comes to freedom of speech, then you can't have this uh, coercion standard. It seems like it's too high a bar. So I don't know, uh, you know, so the, the overemphasis on coercion, in other words, is one of the things that that Philip talks about. Uh, as uh, as a problem. And, and he says that it's not necessary to show uh, coercion. And he uses the example of an FBI agent uh, seeing a front door ajar and slipping in without touching the door. That's, that's There's no coercion there, but it's still a Fourth Amendment violation. Right. The same thing can happen here. Uh, and the other thing that he notes is that the FBI agents and the folks making the demands for suppression directly to the social media companies, they maybe weren't the ones that were out there publicly, like the president and Jen Psaki, making these these statements that the companies weren't doing enough. Um, but Philip says, look, the, the, the division of labor isn't an excuse. The officials making the demands are exploiting the threats made by other officials. So the censorship is coercive 
even under current and, doctrine. And here also, they said it's a whole of government effort, right? And when you say it's a whole of government effort, it's not one admit. We sometimes think that these administrators have gone off on their own. And that's one thing. But when the president and the president's spokesperson says, go and shut these people up. Yes. I mean, that's make that. Who that will seems, rid me of these troublesome tweets? I yeah, believe exactly. you said. That's once right. Before. That's right. And so so I do think that that's very important. And and also you can't uh, I, I even said this in the Shanghizi case. If, if I had told them they have to jo join Joe Biden, I think I'd get a frosty reception, right? You don't enjoin yeah. the president from doing stuff. You enjoin the unconstitutional actions of his subordinates. That's what you do. That's exactly right. But uh, some of the questions coming from, from the judges, and I should probably divulge here that my former judge, the one I clerked for, Judge Boggs, was on the panel. Uh, and your co-counsel in this case, uh, Shang Lee, also had clerked for, for Judge Boggs. So, right. uh, you know, so we... Uh, but if you listen to the questioning, I got no favors for no, that. No, <laughs> you know, you, you did not. You did not. Uh, uh, no, in, in fact, you know, I thought that that there was uh, a little too much focus on on the coercion as as sort of being uh, the standard uh, right. in in some of what was uh, going on there. Um, the other thing that um, uh, you know that that Philip talks about here is the uh, uh, is the commerce clause and the fact that. You know, under the original understanding of the Commerce Clause, that uh, you know it, it didn't include power over the speech or press, and and he quotes James Wilson as saying, uh, "quote A power similar to that which has been granted for the regulation of commerce wasn't granted to regulate literary publications, and thus the proposed system possesses no influence whatever upon the press." Well, that you know that two hundred years later, that's not what's happening. The the government certainly seems to think that it has commerce power to regulate. Uh, the internet. Right. And uh, I got a question that, well, certainly they can um, tax pulp for the press and things like that. They're allowed to do that. And I was, you know, I was sitting there. Um, it's true. The commerce clause, because media is in, in commerce, media can be threatened. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, I think, and this is Philip's particular uh, thing that he's been spending a lot of time and energy on, but the fact that they can regulate it or the fact that they are regulating it, I'm, let's, Put to one side whether they really should be able to, but the fact that they are regulating it means that they have Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which gives them, uh, you know, which protects them from certain liability. They've got that to use then as a cudgel against the government has the that government to use has that as a cudgel to use against Twitter and the other and the other companies. So you know, I think that's uh, that's an, an issue. Um, the, the you know the other question here is this sort of misunderstanding of of privatized. Censorship. And I think this is the most important one because I, you know, I'm a litigator. I don't really think that that uh, you ask Ryante Barnett if we're going to cut back the commerce power <laughs> of, uh, of of the government. That's he, a steeper hill to climb. So, so Randy argued the Raish case, uh, which was uh, saying that if you grow marijuana on your own land and it doesn't go anywhere, it's not in commerce. You know, it's trying to get over Wickard and he he lost five four and he talks about it all the time. So I think Randy would tell us that it was much to be wished for, but not. Uh, likely to happen. But this one, this idea, I think, is very important and, and has legs because it's not against so much prior precedent. Yeah, that's right. Uh, because, you know, essentially what's happened here is the government doesn't, you know, control Twitter. It doesn't, it can't directly go in and take people off of Twitter, uh, but it, but it is telling Twitter to take people off. And then there's some folks who are saying, well, this is an action of a, of a you know, private company. Uh, so it's completely insulated. 
Uh, but Philip's point is, now, wait a minute, it's still a First Amendment violation if the government is telling a private company to do something and the, gov- and the private company goes along. And that's true. And I think this is important. That's true, even if you're not exactly sure how much of the decision is the company's and how much of it is the government's. If any of it is attributable to the government, then you're abridging speech. Right. And, seems to me. And also the, the business owners, just like regular people, they differ in their tolerance for pressure. Like some people will just say that if the police even come and tell them to stop doing something, they'll say, that's not against the law. I have rights and I won't do it. But then oftentimes other people, particularly people from foreign com- countries who aren't used to opposing the government, they say, yes, I'm going to have, I'm not going to, I'm not going to risk anything. So you never know how much, how much um, influence it had on it, but they shouldn't be doing it. No, they shouldn't be doing it. And, and I think, you know, there may be some question about where the line is from, you know, from a constitutional standpoint, but I think Philip's point is, the line is in the Constitution. It's in the text. If you're abridging speech at all from the government conduct, uh, you know, then then there's a problem. And my favorite line in the whole piece is uh, Philip says, when FBI agents or other officials persistently seek the consensual cooperation of social media platforms in suppressing disfavored speech, the FBI agents are abridging the freedom of speech. And I think that's the piece of this that maybe it didn't sound like, at least, that the judges were, uh, you know, cottoning to. No, because I did. I did use that a bridge. I used it to beat the band, and I, no one, no one, hooked onto it and asked me about that. Yeah, well, that's the kind of thing that that the Supreme Court might uh, hook onto if they if they feel like it would require a, a, a you know even a slight adjustment in doctrine. Uh, they might, uh, you know, a, a lower court of appeals might hesitate to to jump on that. I think Philip's right as a as a textual matter, and I think he's right as a, a privileging of a free speech matter. And, and I had a point. Uh, I do think there is a line. Uh, we when we deposed the CDC communications person, we found out that the the census had started these portals to the social um, networks. Now I don't know exactly what happened. Yeah, I didn't. I did back channels. A back channels, but but all the census did was say, how do we get our message out? How do we get our message to the people who are hearing the other message? That the vaccine is safe. Or right, whatever. exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so no, no, for census, it was, look, we're not coming to your house to get your private information for any bad reasons, all for representation, all that kind of thing. Gotcha. Okay. And so, but there's no record that, that I have, and it may have happened, I don't know, but it doesn't look like they said, take these bad census messages off. They said, how do I reach these people? And I think a line like that might be drawn. Now, some, some of our, our friend, Eric Jaffe, doesn't think so. Uh, but I think that for the courts, that might be useful to point out, look, here's something they did with social media that's not unconstitutional, because I think that that's the question that keeps coming from the judges. Well, what could they do? Well, how do I get my message out? That would be fine. Um, you know, the, the other thing that I that I picked up on here, and you were talking about um, can't join the president, and, and I think Judge Boggs might have been the one to ask, well, you know, uh, Roosevelt was you know, sort of railing against, uh, you know, something. And, and so it's just this idea that, well, there's a bully pulpit and that's always been fine. So therefore, uh, or you sometimes you hear folks say, well, the government has a First Amendment right too. Yeah. No, 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 no. That's no. what Eric Jaffe doesn't The like. government does not have a First Amendment right. And there's, and I think to your point, yes, the, the president can, can jawbone on certain things and that's, and that's fine. He has the ability to do that. But once you start reaching out and suppressing the individual speech of individual Americans, you've gone way beyond job owning. Well, what I didn't say, which I had to clamp down, I didn't say to Judge Boggs, well, FDR did a lot of unconstitutional things. <laughs> he would have laughed probably if you'd said that. It's certainly true. Certainly true. Yeah. 
Uh, I, I felt that was ill-advised at the moment. <laughs> well, uh, we'll have to see. You know, we'll have to see what see what happens here. But uh, but I would uh, encourage folks uh, to to read uh, Philip's op-ed uh, from June 9th in the in the Wall Street Journal if you're at all interested in sort of the the cutting edge doctrine when it comes to the First Amendment and his piece, how the government justifies its social media censorship, will both illuminate for you sort of how we've gotten to where we are. And if, you know, if, uh, if a case, if cases like this go the wrong way, it'll help explain why they're and, going the wrong way. Yeah, I, I think it will. And as I said, I think that last piece is, is the place and they're all good, but I think that's the place that allows for the most development of the law right now, because media is new and there's new things to be done. 